Hello everyone, welcome back to the Roaring Readers section of the Mainstream Podcast. And today I am very, very, very excited to talk about the third edition of the Roaring Readers catalog, Watchmen. And this is a story that I am very very passionate about because I am a very big Watchmen fan. I've been a fan for, I want to say a few years now, I think at least since 2018, because that was when I first became aware of Watchmen, because first I watched the movie uh, before I read the the comic, and I like the movie. I know a lot of people don't really like the movie as much as the book, and I I get why, because I enjoy the comic a whole lot more, mainly just because of books don't have a runtime, like, and when it comes to Watchmen, like the people who made the movie, they did a lot to try and capture the overall feeling of reading the actual comic by having I think there's three versions of the actual movie there's the there's the theatrical version which most people have seen where it's basically the skeleton of the main story but just with a lot of details like extra background on characters taking out extra scenes and then there's the director's cut which has more scenes of like character backgrounds like uh like specifically they they include Hollis Mason who's one of the golden age heroes from the 1930s and the 50s and in the theatrical version he's not that involved in the story he's only in I want to say a few minutes of it like he's only in one scene as an old man he's actually I'll be nice he's in two he's in the primary sort story and a younger version who doesn't say anything is in a flashback and that's all we get of him and having him along with uh the other golden age heroes works of the parallel but i'm getting off track uh so which should give you an impression of how into the story i am uh i chose to do watchmen because it's probably at the moment one of my favorite stories I'll say for the moment it's my favorite because I can't think of anything else and part of that is because of like the visual details of the story and this is one reason I like comics because in them can't really see that well but in the pages they do a great job at leaving small details that on uh, first run through you might not 
pay attention to. Like on a first go around, you're probably just looking at the at the dialogue or at like major characters, like people who are talking or people who get your grab your attention more readily. But uh, that's something I like because I'm a visual person. Like I'm a literary guy, but my mind processes images like quicker. And I feel I don't know what that's a result of, but that's how I am. So like when I read stories, like and there's like a lot of descriptions like very vivid descriptions i usually play them out as like scenes like scenes in a film or scenes like in a comic and the people who made the uh theatrical film was basically like a they used the comic as basically like a a storyboard i forgot the word a storyboard for the movie like there are some scenes that are just shot for shot from the from certain chapters of the book like I want to say chapter 5 of the book where Dr. Manhattan first gets his powers like it happens slower like it's more visually like quick in the movie but it's basically shot for shot of him being disintegrated and I really like that as a guy who likes very vivid descriptions of worlds I appreciate that so uh, that's that's enough on why I chose it let's actually get into the nitty gritty of what this book is all about uh i'll start with well well i've kind of shown you already the artwork and the the panel layout specifically because the panel layout well this is a good example the layout of the pages kind of repeat each other like the same like on one page you'll have purple purple gold purple and on the next page like the color pattern will repeat itself and there's a reason like a more not subliminal but like a more symbolic reason for why that is that I'll get to later but that's something I like about the... I didn't really notice it, like, on the first go-around, like I said earlier. But another part of the panel layout is that it's nine panels. Like, 98% of this book has, like, the nine-panel uh, layout, which allows, like... So this book was written by Alan Moore and uh, drawn by Dave Gibbon, Gibbons. And one reason they gave for doing the the layout the way it is because it allows for more imagery to be added. And they were inspired by Steve Ditko, who was 
Some say the uh, sole creator of Spider-Man. Some say it was Steve and Stanley, but some people will say it was more Steve Ditko, and that's a subject for another time. Uh, but they were inspired by Steve's layouts, because in the Spider-Man, or the ones that he drew, they used the nine-panel layout to use like very, very visually captivating images. Uh, and Alan Moore uh, is a big Steve Ditko fan. Like I watch interviews where he is very, very inspired by the uh, storytelling and the artwork as well. So. And there are a few pages where you'll have six uh, panels and then the bottom, which will have been the, uh, it'll just be like a full on uh, section of itself, like as an example. In chapter two, like this, in here, the page is what usually will be nine panels will be uh, this is decade but just one big one just to take in the scope of the room the scope of the scene uh, and I like the not all of the because it depends on what you're trying to get across to the audience like for a scene like that or like a, another scene that I was trying to get to where Rorschach is walking down an alleyway and it's like there's posters on the uh, fence or not the fence, the wall and it's him just walking but there's so much detail in the colors that's another part that I like about the comic I like the the colors they're very captivating uh, and something that I kind of uh, alluded to earlier is the symbolism in the story I think the if you've looked at the uh, book just like in passing or like you've probably read it before or not or if you're not like a huge fan you probably remember the the smiley face button at the beginning of the story which is the comedians button and I was watching an interview today where Alan and Dave give an explanation for why they use the smiley face with the blood drop and they've described the smiley face as being like a very cartoony image and like in relation to superheroes like they're very fantastical like it's a very <coughs> fantastic concept to have the various things that superheroes do and to add the 
blood drop as like a more realistic uh sign it's like something like superheroes are very utopic or and sometimes they are sometimes they aren't uh but to have something like like a crack in the wall kind of like like a solid wall but just having that one little sign of something not being all that seems uh and it's a repeating symbol like it comes uh sometimes it's obvious like in the first page of the book where it's literally the smiley face uh like on the sidewalk or people like pulling it in their hands or later on at the very end oh and this is if you haven't caught on this is spoiler spoiler filled discussion because I cannot talk about the story any other way giving it justice at the end when Rorschach's journal is uh, leaked uh, to the I forget the publisher I want to say New York Times but it gets late to the press and the mailboy Seymour uh, he drips I think ketchup from a yeah ketchup from a burger onto his smiley shirt and that's like some things like that just stick out as obvious but there's others like in this world uh it's set in 1985, but it's a very alternate reality of 1985, where it's very uh, futuristic. Not like Star Wars futuristic, but like take if Tesla or something like that, like electric electric cars were the majority of what people use. Like there's like like we have fire hydrants on like sidewalks there's basically that for electric cars like they're all over the place like they've like gas powered cars are obsolete gas powered vehicles as a whole are obsolete so that sort of thing uh but on the fire hydrants like the the plug-in like the like on a wall like a uh charger on a wall has like the the two lines that kind of look like a, a shocked face. Uh, they kind of make a smiley face in the book. So that's uh, one symbol. Another one is the use of a clock where there is 12 chapters in Watchmen as a whole. And each chapter, like, there's a, a clock uh, on the side and each passing minute or hour rather uh the hands move closer to i'm going the wrong direction but they move closer to 12 and the closer they get to 12 the more blood runs down the clock and so time is a very probably bigger than the smiley face even though that's probably the most like visual uh symbol 
the time the time in the story is represented in Dr. Manhattan who has his time totally distorted by the accident that gave him these metaphysical powers to put it mildly like he can not do anything but do almost anything like he's responsible for making technology more advanced than it is now because he uh accelerated like lithium uh production for batteries like the ion lithium ion batteries for electric vehicles uh and that's one thing that uh Alan and Dave really wanted to do with the story they want to cuz most most superhero stories don't really like they don't really have that big of an effect on the world around them like they exist they can do things that pretty much none of us can but they don't really have an effect on the way we view politics like like social culture like like technology or that sort of thing but in here they do because another thing that makes this world very different from our world is in uh the 60s where I think no in the 50s Dr. Manhattan arrives and he uh accelerates technology further than it did in the actual 50s and in the 60s uh the comedian who is another I'll just I'm going to lay out the characters just as I go but he is uh implied but is kind of made obvious that he killed JFK in this reality and in the 70s uh I think in 1970 one America wins the Vietnam War and like because Dr. Manhattan and the comedian are the only supers who are allowed to operate because in the 70s there was a ban on superheroes they become outlawed and they're the only two who are allowed to operate are those two so the American government sends them to Vietnam and mainly because of Dr. Manhattan, they, the North Vietnamese surrender and it eventually becomes the 51st state of America. I think there's, I don't remember what page in the book or what pages, but I remember a, a bit in the movie where they have the 51st uh, state like type of graffiti. And I know, uh, I think if you look on a flag, like there's an extra star put on it to represent Vietnam. And also, Watergate never happened. So Nixon's 
uh, reputation was not as sour as it is or was at the time. And he, or not he single-handedly, but the government repealed term limits. So Nixon is still the president in, in the 80s. So those are a few examples of how uh, the world is very different from ours. Uh, and since I'm talking a lot about the characters, I'll get to them. Uh, and they represent a variety of different things, a variety of different beliefs. Uh, the first one that we'll get to or the one that we get to in the comic is Rorschach, who is a fan favorite for there for us, I think, in the eyes of Alan Moore for worse, because there are some people who are very, like, when they see Rorschach, he is their guy. Like, he is how justice, justice, should be dealt out like he has a very absolute view of morality and Rorschach to sell that uh, visually his mask is a Rorschach mask and the reason that he uses the mask or enjoys it so much is because the the whites don't mix with the blacks like they're they never create shades of gray they always stay clear and obvious like and it's always the mask is always moving like it's moving for some reason they give but i don't know off the top of my head so he has a black and white view of morality like criminals should never go unpunished like and they should be punished as harshly as a human can be punished and the majority of the time that usually means death essentially or like extreme extreme violence and Alan Moore intended this to be a critique on that sort of objective absolute view of morality like everyone to some extent, or not to some extent, I'll say, I'll say that everyone feels their morality is objective. Like they have a a code. Like even if it's not like put on paper, they have a code. And with some exceptions, they're pretty different from each other. Uh, and more wants a critique the idea that justice is easy to easy to define like all the time like you want to critique like this very far right like thinking like like this authoritarian view of like dealing with like social ills like it should be done with blunt force like like a strong man to basically be the thing that solves all of your problems and he is very 
Uh, I read a quote that he's very creeped out by people who are huge, huge fans of Rorschach. And, like, at panels, or, like, like at cons, he'll be like, that's cool. And he'll slowly, slowly back away because they missed the point entirely. Uh, which isn't new to uh, this character or Watchmen. There's a trend where people take a character that was meant to be a critique on a very impractical view of seeing the world, but they take it mainly because I think we're kind of conditioned to see the main character of a given uh, piece as the... uh, like focal point of our like they are how we should see the world and that is not always what people intend but I think the way people view entertainment is subjective as well uh, on the other side of him you have and I'll go to uh, two other characters Laurie Jupiter and Dan Dryberg. I'll talk about them together because they have similar uh, themes. Uh, Dan was is the second Night Owl. Uh, well, they're both the second uh, uh, version of a character. Uh, he's the second Night Owl, and Laurie is the second uh, Silk Spectre. She was given the role by her mother uh by pretty much by force like a parent wanting their their child to do the same thing that they did and they're just gonna have to deal with it uh she did it out of obligation and dan became night owl because he had the money to to do it and being night owl gave him purpose like it made him feel special and not impotent which is something that he deals with like they both struggle with uh value like self-worth i'll say because laurie at the time like at the start of the book is in a relationship with dr manhattan but because of how he views the world like everything is determined like there are no miracles there are no uh there's low value to human life in his eyes and that's not very uh comforting to a significant other so she finds comfort elsewhere with dan because dan is very I don't want to say milk toast, but he's very normal, relatively. Uh, and Dan struggles with uh, self worth because without the without being a superhero, he has very little personal purpose, or he feels he has very little personal purpose, uh, and. 
that's their main struggle in the story. I won't give everything away for the sake of time, but that's the main thing that they struggle with. Uh, the second to last character I'll get to, there's a lot, but I'll have a ton of time. Uh, the comedian is depraved, to put it mildly. He does whatever. I won't say what, but it's grim. And he does it because he feels that he can. Like, his, in his eyes, if you can do it, then you can do it. Or if you can get away with it, you can do it. Which, you know, depending on what you want to do is very grim. Uh, and it's a different type of nihilism than Dr. Manhattan. Because Dr. Manhattan just kind of unsubscribes from interacting with humans like halfway into the story I think chapter 5 5 or 6 he goes to Morris because he doesn't see the value in being around human beings anymore like he says he's tired of the the constant constant human existence to put it mildly uh and let's see uh before the story happens the comedian i won't say has an epiphany but like before the events of the story he breaks down because he feels that life is a joke uh mainly because he doesn't see like i feel like I don't, like, I don't like giving him too much credit, but he wants to see life as significant, but he just doesn't. I won't say this absolves him of everything he does, but it's some glimpse into his psyche. Uh, and the other character that I'll get to, who has a big a very big role at the end especially is Ozymandias who is he starts out at the story as a benevolent uh, a philanthropist he was a former superhero in the 50s through the 70s up until the Keen Act that's the name of the act that uh Bands vigilantes. Uh, he re he retired before that and became an industrialist. So and he's a very like visually a very bright uh, character. Like he like he's very inviting. You wouldn't expect uh, ill will towards him until the end, where he's revealed to be the primary antagonist like the main orchestrator of everything that's happened 
he's responsible for the comedian's death at the start of the story because the comedian uncovered uh, uh, a part of uh, Adrian Vi that's uh, Osimandius' alter ego. He uncovered a part of his plan before the story started. And to keep it under wraps, he threw him out of his apartment window. And that's very... Uh, in the movie, that's very shot for shot also. But the overall plan is to trick the, wor the world into stopping the Cold War by sending an uh, alien creature to wreak havoc in New York to unite the world into a utopia uh, again to put it mildly uh, Dan and Rorschach uh, and Laurie uncover this by the end but uh, they don't stop it like I want to say 10 million people in New York are killed and the world is shocked by this and they do unite to become a utopia and this is different something about uh Vite in this story in comparison to most other uh characters who have these type of uh plots like the story doesn't totally condemn his actions as like undeniably wrong like the it kind of leads it to your interpretation as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Rorschach does not see it as a good thing, and he decides to walk out and reveal the truth, uh, regardless of whether or not it would undo the utopia. Uh, Manhattan stops him before he can and he realizes Rorschach realizes that he probably won't walk out of that uh, alive but he sticks to his guns and that's part of that's the one thing that I find uh, very relatable or not relatable like compelling I'll say it's like how close he sticks to his beliefs even though I have the opposite set of beliefs uh, it's compelling to see someone hold their convictions that far uh, and I think this leads to uh, like this whole plot leads to I think one of the questions about uh, Watchmen as a whole, like, who has, it's like a question on power, like, who deserves power, why should they have power, why should they have the authority to enforce their will on other people simply by virtue of having power, so that's one of the overarching themes of Watchmen, uh, and if you couldn't tell by be kind of skipping over a lot of things in this book it's because it is massive there are a lot of things I did not talk about uh, if you're here on campus I'm pretty sure that there's a version 
not a version, a copy in the library on the second floor uh, where they have comics and graphic novels. So if you're interested in reading uh, that story, I highly recommend because it is excellent. And I think that's a good stopping point. Uh, I could keep going on if we ever transition into doing hour-long podcasts, but not at the moment. So until next time, I'll see you around.